Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 106. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce my next guest today in Dose of Leadership, John Baldoni. He's chair of the Leadership Development Practice of N2 Growth a global leadership consultancy. John is an internationally recognized leadership educator, executive coach, and the author of a dozen books, including Lead with Purpose, Lead Your Boss, and The Leader's Pocket Guide. John speaks throughout North America and Europe, and in 2012, Leadership Gurus International ranked him number 10 on its list of global leadership experts. John has authored more than 500 leadership columns for a variety of online publications, including CBS Money Watch, Harvard Business Review, Forbes and the Washington Post. John, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Well, thank you, Richard. I uh, appreciate this and look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more. We're all passionate about leadership. I'm always interested how people got interested or you know how they started in this business. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, my career in this, uh, essentially, I'm an old speechwriter, and so I had the opportunity to write for very senior leaders at a young age, and they started asking me to write about leadership, and I, um, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to be saying these things. <laughs> so for a speaker to want to be on stage is the equivalent of crossing the Rubicon. There's no going back. <laughs> so um, I evolved. I went back to school, got a master's at the University of Michigan, Dearborn, um, and uh, I have been writing and teaching for the last 15 years or so on leadership. So, uh, and I, my focus is executive coaching and teaching. Well, you know, you know, you're you're within our tribe, and we love talking to folks who who are in this uh, arena. And I'm interested to know, you know, who can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader, maybe a mentor, a coach? How did that person impact your life? Well, I, it's it's the obvious. I'd always say my parents. Uh, my parents set the right example. My father was a small town physician. My mother was uh, very active in social causes as well as. Uh, did some uh, served as mayor uh, in our town, so my parents have always uh, or did teach us uh, kids to lead with a sense of so- social responsibility. Although we didn't use the word leadership, I can't recall right. them actually using that. But it, it was examples, and then also my education. I'm uh, eight years of Jesuit education, <laughs> including Jesuit prep and uh, uh, Georgetown. So uh, the Jebs did a good job on me as well. Oh, wow! Yeah. You know, one of you, my favorite articles that you wrote um, recently was Developing Frontline Leaders Starts at the Top. Talk to me a little bit about that. 
Well, that was based on some research from this uh, Dimensions, uh, excuse me, DDI, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. But um, essentially, it's talking about that leadership responsibility is everyone's. It's not just HR. And um, the senior leaders need to get out and meet and mingle, but they also need to take a hands-on role in developing leaders. And so what does that mean? Well, at minimum, mentoring. Um, and mentoring is different than coaching. Mentoring is looking, you know, a, within an organizational environment, maybe two, three, three levels beneath you and where you're acting as disinterested. That doesn't mean uninterested, but disinterested in the development of an individual. And some organizations do a really good job of that. So, for example, the corporate executive board has something called the um, lateral slicing where someone in one function will be mentored by another in another function and so on. And, you know, I think all of the top, uh, uh, excuse me, the organization, uh, Harris, uh, no, excuse me, I'm blanking out uh, a group that does uh, surveys every year and it's published in Bloomberg Business Week on uh, oh, the Hay Group, excuse Hay me. Group, yeah. to, mm-hmm. The Hay Group does the studies and, you know, the top 20 companies for leadership development and all of them have uh, senior leaders are engaged in the actual process of leadership development. Why do you think leadership development is, um, and you know, and I'm, I'm with you, I've seen a lot of the organizations I've worked for and, and, of course, the ones that I help coach as well, is why does leadership development, it's not through malice or, it's just, it's, or indifference, it's kind of a lack of knowing. Why do you think leadership development is not that intentional? Well, I think it's, you know, you you have a military background, you know, and those in the military, I I kind of make this thing that leadership is a given, and if you don't, aren't leading at any given rank, you're going to be washed out. And so at the same time, you have your professional responsibility, whatever it is you're you're doing. Your background is a pilot, you know, aviation, uh, could be logistics, combat arms, whatever it is. Um, But... Inherent in that, there's the responsibility to lead. Uh, we don't have that in the private sector, in the corporate sector. We put all our emphasis on management um, and development of professional and technical skills. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think that leadership has kind of been uh, slid to the side. Although I see more and more leadership is becoming uh, much more ingrained. There are university programs that, you know, teach leadership. I think you, you, uh, you get a Ph.D. in leadership. So all of that means that, that leadership is, is, a, uh, is at the very highest uh, need. And, of course, you know, with the political discourse, excuse me, lack of political discourse in Washington, um, studies show that people uh, believe that we're in a crisis for leadership. This is something that Kennedy School has surveyed every year. At the same time, while we are in a uh, crisis for leadership, uh, American people understand that if we're going to get out of this, we need leaders. And also, I think we don't understand exactly, when we say leaders, a lot of people think of it as uh, the George Washington model. And George Washington, someone I uh, revere for his um, leadership and also the fact that he had the, the guts to step down twice from very senior roles. <laughs> you know, that's extraordinary. But um, he taught us so much from that. But we kind of think of the, um, and I think Pete uh, Dawkins said this best. I heard a lecture from him. He's a West Point grad, class of 1958, combat veteran, and uh, and then I won the Heisman in 1958 for Army. And he said, you know, we're still hung up on the model of leadership from a British cavalry mindset of the 19th century, sort of the, cavalry, the charge of the light brigade. Well, that isn't what leadership is. Um, yes, it, it, it's part of a, um, we equate leadership with position, and of course it's not. It's all of, it's really a, a, an essence of uh, uh, 
taking personal responsibility and, and then exerting a sense of autonomy and wanting to make that positive difference. And for that reason, when you define it, leadership can occur at any level. Yeah, no, I mean, you said a couple great nuggets there that, that, that is, we definitely talk about here a lot on the show. And I, I do think the command and control is dead. It's probably been dead for a long time. Or it's never been that effective, in my opinion. I think, you know, authenticity, which you were kind of getting to, too, in part of your comment, I think that is a new authority in leadership. I don't know uh, what your thoughts are on that, but I think authenticity and um, and kind of a, this, this command and control style is just kind of dead, in my opinion. Your thoughts? Well, authenticity is the core. I mean, another word of another way of looking at authenticity is character. And, and if you don't have character, you cannot lead. And what is character? There are many, many definitions. Um, and but I mean, the one that resonates with me is what you do when you don't think anyone's watching. Yeah. So and people suss that out very quickly. And so we need li- uh, men and women of character. Um, you know, we we're still grappling with the aftermath of uh, the. Uh, financial meltdown um, of 2008, you know, and we saw a stunning lack of character on, on Wall Street. And sadly, we've just seen this recently in Washington. There are very few men and women of character who are standing up um, to the, uh, you know, to the, to the naysayers. And so, you know, we have to uh, uh, find common ground. And we have, that leads to another thing, which is a sense of responsibility. And I think we, if you look at leadership, we've and certainly in our government, we've lost the art of Governance, not politics, governance. And governance is about responsibility. And responsibility is rooted in character and personal responsibility as well. Yeah, I think this this lack of accountability or this perceived double standard seems to be getting worse in my opinion. And maybe it's just because I'm I'm much more in tune to it. Maybe it's always been there and and, and I'm certainly has through through the dawn of man, but there seems to be a, almost a um pandemic or an epidemic of lack of accountability. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think there is. Because, why? Because you can get away with it. <laughs> That's yeah. as simple as that. You know, this comes up in coaching all of the time. It's not about you know when uh, I, I work with leaders who are saying you know I've got this employee or that employee and they're doing that and I go I said well what are you doing about it? Well, I'll say nothing and I go well why wouldn't they why would they change if they can get away with it right. you know so and I think that's the, the the reason you know we have a uh we have a fractured political system and I don't want to dwell too much on politics because it's it's a disheartening dispiriting topic at this point but there is a lack of accountability uh, right there and and, and um and it's all it's about the money that's really what it is it's a money it's, they don't care about anything about it except you know, enriching themselves and getting reelected. So that's sadly that's that is the power. It's the K Street lobbyists. Yeah, change the the faces change, but we keep keep going on. Yep. One of the most questions I get most asked on this show, or from viewers or listeners rather, is a lot of folks that that listen to the show are folks that are kind of in that middle, that three hundred and sixty degree leader, or they don't realize that they need to be a three sixty degree leader. Uh, if I can quote John Maxwell, but um, someone that's stuck in the middle. You will not go wrong. By no, absolutely John not. Maxwell. Absolutely not. But, uh, but you know, you're stuck in the middle. You may be in an organization that may be a little bit toxic and may a little be, be a little dysfunctional. And that's the question I get asked the most. Well, what can I do? How can I affect change? What's the best thing I can do if I'm stuck in the middle? I, I have to motivate those that I'm accounted for below, but Leading upwards, it's a little more challenging. It's a little more toxic upwards. What advice would you give for someone in that situation? 
well, I wrote a book on it called Lead Your Boss. And uh, it's been a very popular book, and it's still available, so I recommend anyone to read that. It comes down to a matter of influence. If you're stuck in the middle of an organization, uh, you have three choices. Um, One, you can leave. Two, you can um, do nothing. Or three, you can affect change. Now, you're not going to change the top. You, You focus on what you can focus. You learn to adopt a mentality of what's good for the organization, what's good for my department. Act from a sense of, um, what's the changes that I can make? What can I influence? Um, and work within that parameter. Um, also, seeking to influence up. And to influence up, you, need, you have to have three things. Number one is competence. You have to be good at your job. You have to be credible. Other people believe in you. And you have to be confident. A, you can do the job. The trick is that when you're initiating ideas, especially leading up, um, the ideas may come from you, but there's a couple of things that you need to be cognizant of. A, you may have to hand that off, that idea off to your boss, who may take credit for it, or you, um, you're going to have to share the credit and, and with others to build advocacy. The other thing is you cannot be seen as uh, a one-man band. You cannot be seen as a self-promoter. Initiating from the, from the middle is a process of uh, promoting oneself, but don't lead with your ego, per se. Lead with the idea, what it is you want to do and why it is good. So, uh, for example, um, you know, if you're in HR and you want to develop a new training program, you work out the business case for what this is doing and all of its positive ramifications. Or if you're in finance um, and you have an idea for a new way of you know, valuation or whatever, or analysis, you know, you lead with that idea, make that. So I think that's the idea. And essentially leading from the, uh, from the middle is really a, a cornerstone of leadership. It's becoming that person of influence, and leadership depends on influence. You know, and I uh, sometimes use the term the myth of the hierarchy, and we have this idea that whatever the CEO says goes. Well, that really lasts till about one or two lows, mm-hmm. rows, excuse me, levels of management. It really depends on men and women of good heart and open mind and open um, and, and effectiveness to be able to affect positive change. And they take those ideas from on high and run with them. And it was interesting as General Motors uh, was crumbling. Um, this was oh, when, when uh, uh, excuse me, the last Fritz Henderson was running it. He's the mm-hmm. last yeah. uh, non-government appointed, or at least non-outsider to be po- uh, appointed as the run General Motors. And uh, they, <laughs> believe it or not, he needed a consulting firm to do this, but to identify those men and women in the in, within General Motors who were the go-to people. Um, the fact that they had to hire an outsider tells you a lot about the state yes. of the company at that time, and I think it's made great leaps and bounds since that. This was a few years ago. But these were the kind of people, these were people, you could say, leading at the middle to higher middle level, but made the company run and were doing good things. And that's, I think every organization has a cadre of those people. It's up to us to find, though, up to the senior leaders to find those people, empower them, let them run uh, with it, let them do their own show, uh, not their own show, but within 
um, the idea. And the other thing to think about, if you're becoming a person of influence or leading from the middle, you have to understand the strategic imperatives of your firm. What is it that we're trying to do? So, for example, I tell this kind of a silly little story, but if you work for a plumbing supply company and you're a middle manager and you think, hey, I think we should open a fast food uh, chicken franchise, well, that might be a great idea. It might even have good financial potential, whatever it is. But I don't really see a match between chicken and plumbing supply. How about a plumbing service supply company? You buy that, so then you have buy the parts and the service on the same heading. So it's a kind of a silly example, but in other words, whatever the idea that you're advocating must conform to the strategic imperatives of the firm and complement the mission of what it is the company stands for. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a lot of times the middle managers, they don't... <clears throat> I don't know if they do, they feel it's not their place to be involved in the, in the strategic initiatives or at least the strategic big picture. But man, I think you got to understand. You got to be tied into what the the purpose and the mission of the business is all about. And surprisingly, I see a lot of middle managers not tuned into it. Do you see that too from your coaching standpoint? Uh, yeah, and and it's not their fault. It's management. It's the senior leadership yeah. not taking the time to communicate. And um, the, the area that I work on right now is purpose. You know, what is my purpose? The mm -hmm. what and the why. Yeah. The why and the what. And it's up to senior leaders to really disseminate what the purpose of the organization is. Why is it what we do what we do? Linking, connecting the work at any level to the function and to the organization and to the mission. And that's really powerful. Um, and so I high, highly recommend the work of a, a rising young academic, um, uh, Adam Grant, who's written a wonderful book. He's the youngest tenured professor at Wharton. And he's written a wonderful new book called Give and Take. And it's really the, it's the service ethos. How do we serve one another within an organization? And Adam's got some great research to back up his thing. And I'm really trying enamored of his ideas, but it complements the idea of purpose. And when you know what your purpose is and people buy into it, then they begin to say, here's how I can become a contributor. But it's up to management to set that framework to create the ownership. So, for example, I, and I tell this story in my book, Lead with Purpose, that when the, I think my first iPhone was a 3GS, so the second generation one. I went to the Apple store. I'm an old guy. I'm saying, when's Apple going to come out with an on-screen keyboard? And this young man, uh, you know, looked at me and he goes, we are committed to the on-screen keyboard because we believe that is the future of, you know, uh, phones and all this. Now, some people could have taken that um, answer as being snide or arrogant or whatever, I did not. I took it as a sense of ownership. How many times have you been into a retail environment where you ask for something and they don't, the store doesn't have it, and the clerk will say to you, well, they never listen to us, or they don't do this. This young man was not able to serve me with my needs, but he was taking ownership of it. Now, that's a very tiny example. Where do we see this? We see this kind of this is a kind of service mentality. We really see it in healthcare. Um, the company that really pioneered a lot of this is Marriott. Um, mm -hmm. Marriott and Ritz Carlton by empowering people at every level to take ownership and responsibility for their actions and serving the customer. Um, we also see this kind of thing in the military. Well, people take ownership of whatever it is, uh, the problem in front of them, and solve it the best they can without calling on senior leadership. And, 
until they need to. So, I mean, and I think in the, in, in, in the getting back to our survey about leadership and leadership development, those organizations which do the best job of it are those that look at leadership as every, at every level and believe in it. And they also believe in that sense of responsibility, taking ownership for your problems and trying to find solutions. Now, you're going to rub up against things like uh, uh, lack of resources or whatever, but it's demonstrating that initiative. And here's what I can do. And it's to one of my very favorite quotes from John Wooden, who said, "Let's, uh, you know, to the extent of don't focus on what you cannot do, but rather focus on what you can do. So too often we say, well, my boss wouldn't let me do that. My boss won't let me do that. We defeat ourselves before we even um, and advance an idea. So think about what I can do. What you can't do is you cannot change the strategic direction of the firm. What you can do is develop an idea or a way of thinking or a way of working more co- uh, collaboratively with others that complements the strategic direction of the firm. So there's a lot you can do within their parameters, and, and that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, I love it. everything you're saying. Is music to my ears, and, and for sure. I mean, and I can't tell you how many times I've coached or worked with someone. Even when I've been in leadership positions, people have come to me, and even myself, when I've been overwhelmed with, man, can't the company see that that's not the lighting in the tunnel? That is a train about to, you know, run into us, and no one seems to be listening to you, and you get wrapped up in kind of the bigger picture and the things you have no control over. But man, you can. There's a lot you can affect within your sphere, and that makes a huge impact you know i remember reading an article or a book from uh, Stephen ambrose about d-day and his whole premise about the book on d-day was that was that culture the american culture the idea of small unit leadership it wasn't because of eisenhower and his strategy that won the war it was because of individual pockets of four or five people making individual decisions you know dele- you know delegated decisions decentralized decisions that won the war and uh, that's that that's I think a way we need to look at it. You know, yeah, it may be frustrating, and you can't affect that. But what can you affect? You know, you can affect that individual to the left and to the right of you, and that's much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Um. Yeah. No. That I think that's that's a yeah. You well, as you well know, it's unit cohesion. That's what holds military forces together. Um. And um. But you have to back them with resources. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So. Uh, Whatever, but no, it's, it's yeah, believing in the cause and then working together, uh, and, and you know, cohesion is uh, as absolutely fundamental to success of any collaborative, excuse me, any cooperative venture. Yeah, what do you, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are facing leaders today? It seems like a unique uh, leadership. Uh, we're, we're faced with a bunch of unique problems. I don't know, maybe we're not, but what do you think some of the biggest challenges are? I don't think we're faced with any unique challenges. <laughs> I think that I don't think things have changed. I'm I'm really old school. I don't think the challenges that we're uh, facing today are any different than they were a uh, hundred years ago, with the exception of globalization. Mm. But that's the big thing, uh, because what affects what happens in one corner of the world can affect you and your corner. So that is a significant difference. And where I and and not to be facetious, I think executives really wrestle with how do I deal with globalism? How do I bide my time? How do I manage a truly global company? How do I connect with people who are a continent away and speak a different language than I do. So that is a different dynamic. Um, I think any business is faced with any organization is probably always, you know, it's scarcity of resources. Um, you know, how do I do that? I think mobilizing people, I think it's also the, the challenge of 
um, and every leader will have this anywhere. It's bringing together people for common cause, mm-hmm. and it's really hard work. I was researching a new book, and it's talking about this, this work environment. It's quite extraordinary. It's very collaborative and cooperative. And if you walk in, you think, oh, every, it's one big happy family, which it is. But, you know, I was talking to the CEO. He said, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into this. And, you know, his active engagement and, and leading uh, people and getting involved in these kinds of things. So leadership is hard work. Um, and I think that's it. I think that one of the other things is is that we've shorted ourselves I think anyone who's come through the, the, the financial crisis, certainly in the business community, has learned a great uh, lesson from resilience. Um, I think our military has always taught that and always valued resilience, but I think we're learning it in the private sector. Um, and so the ability, you know, adversity is, is discouraging and daunting, but every, and Warren Dennis once said that he had never met a leader of any import who had not faced personal adversity at some point. And it's so, adversity will strike us anywhere, but it's, it's and there's no shame in being knocked down, it's what you do next um, uh, that matters most. So I think we need to value the idea of real resiliency. Um, and um, uh, I think the other thing is, um, the, the idea of bringing common cause is understanding who to whom you're speaking to, um, understanding the needs, wants, aspirations of the people that you lead, finding ways to connect with them in, in meaningful ways. Um, as I said earlier, connecting the dots between the contributions that they make and the workflow. Um, and uh, that's really important. And, you know, there's the classic, a couple of examples of this is one is um, uh, we think, and we see this a lot in healthcare. If you're a healthcare worker on the front lines, and that could be a physician, it could be a health aide, excuse me, a, a technician, whatever, if you have day-to-day contact with patients, that's an enriching experience. It can be very frustrating and challenging at times, but at least patients come in, you provide them with a therapy, and sometimes, most of the time, they leave in a better situation. You have helped them. You see the fruits of your labor. What about us who live in, you know, we work in a cubicle, or we're divorced from the labor of, um, the fruits of the, the service that we see, you know. Um, so how do we find that personal connection? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it, managers need to find a way to connect the workforce to the labor. And, and uh, Harley-Davidson's had this wonderful thing, and this is just a, an example, where they have rally days uh, uh, where uh, Harley owners ride their bikes back to um, uh, the factory in Milwaukee, and they meet the factory workers who, you know, designed their bike or built their bike. So that's a real simple little thing. I mean, Saturn used to do this before it had closed up. Um, uh, John Deere does this something something similar uh, with people buy their tractors. They actually come to the factory and get the key uh, to the, ca- the the tractor and all of this, and so the labor force is there. So there's lots of ways to do that. But how do we celebrate work? How do we make that connection? Um, and that's important. So um, it's connecting the work to meaning. And I think, and the other thing that this is, surveys are showing that people want their leaders to be inspirational. And I play on this somewhat in my public speaking. I always say, well, the best way to inspire is you have to hire a motivational speaker, which always gets a laugh, of <laughs> course. But um, that's actually not the best way to do it. <laughs> it's good. But the best way is that people need to find inspiration from the work. So what does that mean? 
The work must have significance. It must have impact. It must have movement. Um, we say this in sales. We've moved the needle or we're making changes. We see this. We see the fruits of it. And there must be sustain, sustained over time. So that's how the work is inspirational. That's how it makes a difference. When we see it changing the lives of our customers and in the lives of the people we serve, that makes that personal connection. So I think that's part of it. I mean, how do I as a leader deliver inspiration to my people? And it's, it, 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 we have to recast the word as inspiration. It's not like some kind of magical um, thing where, you know, people fall down and on their knees and say, oh, thank you, great leader, my boss. No, it's just, hey, I'm jazzed by my boss's enthusiasm, my, his energy or her energy, her commitment to helping us achieve our goals. That's inspirational. And that work and that inspiration is directly tied to the work that people do. Then that inspiration becomes sustainable. Yeah, I like it. As we wrap up here, I'm curious to know, what are you doing to ensure that you continue to grow and develop as a leader? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I continue to. I, I like to think that I'm, what I'm doing in my work and my teaching, my writing, uh, my coaching. Um, I also have, you know, there, I have, I'm, a, I'm an executive coach and I have people who coach me. Yeah. Um, I also um, take the time to try to, um, I find inspiration in many, many different areas. Um, uh, one thing now, I, I'm pursuing a, a long dormant um, interest in music. So that is uh, energizing me. So, And what does music have to do with leadership? Well, there isn't a direct, direct correlate except that it's a sense of personal enrichment um, that helps complement the personal me, the personal you. And a friend of mine, uh, also from Wharton, Stu Friedman, has written, He's uh, written extensively on work-life balance. And actually, he doesn't use the word balance. He uses the word work-life integration. And what he means by that is finding the different domains of your life, where it's yourself, your family, your work, your community, whatever it is that enriches you. How do you find time to devote to that? And by addressing the whole persona of who you are, um, you will become a, a more complete leader, or as Stu calls it, uh, a total leader. And, that, and his website is totalleadership.com. He's got a, actually a new book out, um, which further amplifies some of his ideas. But the sense of, and this is something I coach, is that a leader must be a whole person in the sense that he can't be shorting consistently over time for parts of his personality or parts of his life that um, uh, that are going to draw back. Now, uh, in times of, certainly, you know this from, you know, we've had these um, long deployments of our troops overseas and repeated deployments, and there's great deprivation in that. And that's not healthy over time, and now we're seeing the effects of that. But on a civilian sector, as, you know, when we crash for deadlines, we might work for months or uh, long period of time, we have to give up certain portions of what it is we like to do best. But over time, we've got to find this balance where I can be a more complete person at the same time, more complete in my work and more complete in my in my personal life. Wow, you know, one of the great things I've always asked folks and and post on here too is is especially for new leaders, people getting at the new time, is the available amount of resources. You have a plethora, my friend, and um, where can people get in touch with you and get in touch with some of your great writings, some of your great posts? How can people find you? 
well, I think the easiest thing is, uh, you know, I'm chair of the leadership uh, of the N2 Growth Practice, so you can find me through uh, www.n2growth.com. Um, and, and easier, maybe easier to remember is simply my name, johnbaldoni.com. That will take you to um, uh, the gateway, uh, my portal to uh, N2 Growth. And then all of my books are available on Amazon, and I write um, for Forbes. And if you just do a search on my name on Google, uh, you'll come up with other places where I write as well. John, this has been a fun conversation. You are definitely uh, one of the – I can see why you're ranked as one of the top ten leadership gurus. Um, You're definitely um, within our tribe here at Dose of Leadership, and I I so appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, Well, thank you, and and I appreciate the work you're doing and reaching out and uh, tapping into so many different voices, and and that's the most important thing, I think, from leadership. There there is no one voice, and that's a good thing, and all of us bring many different uh, dimensions, whether they're from the military, the private sector, the the arts, the the nonprofit sector, uh, our government sector, all of these things. All of us bring different perspectives. Um, also, due to our uh, our gender, our diversity, our background, our ethnicity, our heritage, we're up. all of this adds up to uh, different dimensions that all of us can learn from one another. I think, and um, I think Richard, you've done a good job of, of mining different ideas from around the world, and you should be uh, proud of doing that. So, thank you for this opportunity, and uh, uh, I will be listening. Thank you, John. Thanks for those kind words, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.